I'm going to approach this a little differently than you may think. It's not going to be a formulaic. Um, I was driving my daughter to school, which I do every morning, and I began to kind of slip in a little bit of Dharma in our conversation. And when I say slip in Dharma, I was saying, do you know, and it, it got sparked by realizing I was asking her what was going to happen at school that day, if there was any test or if any, you know, it was a way of making conversation. And I realized as I was talking to her that I was, I was not um, so much talking about our real-time experience, but I was talking about what was to come, which is just a, a natural habit of conversation about where are you going, what are you doing, what have you been doing. And when I realized I was doing that, I, I, I slipped in a little uh, description of what I was doing for myself. I said, I noticed lately that, I'm, that I was jumping ahead a lot, thinking about w where I'm going, what I want, uh, or where I've been, that I'm jumping into, um, into what's next. And, and that when I do that, I'm, I'm, I think that what I'm looking forward to is going to give me uh, some kind of pleasure. It's going to give me some kind of relief. It's going to give me... Uh, and I, you know, that's it's Dharma 101, and it's the, I call it the Dharma of, of postponement. I'm, I'm somehow associating my, my relief and happiness with how things turn out, or what I do, or what I'm getting, or... And I was telling her this in my casual way of trying to talk to her. And then I said that what I realized though and then I, when I jump ahead all the time is I'm missing what's actually happening in real time. I'm missing the true, the real source of, of happiness and peace. Which is the wildness I, I use these kind of words, the wildness and the coolness of you and I sitting here in the car driving along. I know there is nothing more wild than the reality of you and I driving along and you and I knowing that we're driving along right now and that we're right here. Now this is, this is really alive. This is really, <laughs> this is really cool. And I said, I'm really motivated by uh, wanting to catch all the times that I jump ahead. All the times that I associate, I want to borrow a little pleasure from what's next. And, and it's innocent, I want to be happy, but I cheat myself of how amazing it is right where I am. And 
And so then my, my practice then is to be kind of grateful for what I, what I have already. And, you know, I, I didn't share this, but I always, in my over years, I love the teaching of, of Thoreau, who I, who uh, this particular passage I attributed to, Mar- to, um, to Walt Whitman for about 20 years until somebody showed me an internet printout that it was actually Thoreau. But, but Thoreau put it this way. He says, I'm grateful for what I am and what I have. My thanksgiving is perpetual. He says, it's surprising how contented one can be with nothing definite, just a sense of existence. Oh, how I laugh at my vague, indefinite riches, for no run on my bank can drain it, for my wealth is not possession, but the enjoyment of being. So I was alluding to that in this conversation with her. Meanwhile, we're, we're getting really stoned in a way. And it just dawned on me as I talk about this all the time. But then I started just from talking to her about it. It almost as though I gave myself a resolution to notice how much I'd, I'm looking ahead to things, how much I'm looking forward to things. Is the end of the day or the, the vacation or the week? Or, and, and to each time I notice that, to stop. And, and then savor, really attune to this reality right now, which is really the only reality, the only one that's alive and full and already complete and without any shadow of insufficiency when I'm, when I'm present. And so since then, it's been... I talked tonight about confessing my... I was shocked at how much, even though I talk about this every day of my life, I was shocked at how much I am uh, again and again entering into that trance that I'm somebody going through time on my way somewhere else. And how, how that whole construction of myself in time just keeps creating a sense, uh, an, a sense of insufficiency, of, in, of something lacking, and how much, I, how much access that I have, that you have, that we all have, in any moment to step out of that stream of distress, and it's literally a moment of mindfulness away, of knowing what's in your mind, and knowing that you're actually here, and knowing that here is really all there really is, that's real. And, and then it's, from that vantage point, it's possible to see how, the, how the, the jumping ahead is all in the service of perpetuating a view, a self-view. It's a, it's a way of holding together the sense of identity. And the truth is, in real time, you don't even need it. You don't need an identity. And I notice the more I live in, that, sem- in that, that home of openness or emptiness, of not being anyone, just a field of awareness, 
I notice when there's a need to incarnate as somebody, to take on a role or to be this way or that way, it's there. It's just part of the function of, of my humanity or your humanity. But we can completely 100% devote ourselves to not uh, overlooking this freedom that is here hiding, literally hiding in plain view. And I know from beginningless time, people have recognized this natural freedom. The Tibetans call it natural great peace. Go rest in natural great peace, this exhausted mind that's beaten helpless by karma and neurotic thought, which is really like the, as he says, Noshul Ken, he says, like the relentless fury of the pounding waves in the infinite ocean of samsara, this endless jumping ahead, this endless wandering, this endless going, becoming. Rest in natural great peace. And and in the, also in the Tibetan tradition, they, they, you know, it's in the Hindu tradition, it's called an open secret. And, but in the Tibetan tradition, they, they have the teaching called the four faults. Why don't we recognize the, this, this source of well-being and peace? Why don't we recognize it? Why don't we, as Kala Rinpoche say, know that we're the Buddha? Why do we fall into that? He, and the Tibetans say four faults. It's first one, it's too close. It's too vast. We can't put it in our usual conceptual framework. It's too wondrous. Just the immediacy is so wondrous. And then the fourth one, which I find always makes me smile, it's too easy. We just have to stop running away by running, by running after them. We just have to wake up. So um, I was speaking to somebody. This is where, how do we deepen this? Two people on the same day, one person said that recently they, they, uh, started a, and we've done this many times at, at Mission Dharma over the years where I've encouraged people to have a gratitude buddy. Somebody who you text uh, once a day to, to um, share something that you're grateful for so that you incline your mind toward appreciation, that, that feeling of appreciation that's kind of only can really come if you're, if you're present. And this person who was telling me about their recent several months that they were doing this gratitude is that they ended up having three, they ended up texting their um, gratitude buddy three times a day. And each time that they, that they texted them, they just stopped and they really felt the gratitude. And by feeling it, it enhanced it. And it, it reminded me of that line that I often share here from the Buddha where he said, whatever one frequently dwells upon becomes the inclination of the mind. And that this is, it's really what you do with your mind. 
And so this is one person, the very same day, another person says, I've been doing I've, this buddy practice with somebody it's, that they, she calls it savoring, where she just tries, she's trying to savor an experience that she might be having. And so she's, she ends up stopping a lot and savoring whatever she's experiencing. And then she texts her whatever she's savoring. And ever since that, that she mentioned to me, it was, it was so in, in, it was so congruent with what I was just talking to my daughter Molly about and what I'm doing for myself. And I just thought that I would invite all of us to do it, just noticing. Maybe just by talking about it, I've already been pointing to that freedom even tonight that's, that's available. But it does mean to be really present. It does mean to be willing in, in this moment to, to drop where you're going. And what that tends to do is it means dropping who you think you are. Whatever your story is. about It means dropping for these moments wherever you've come from. Uh, all your identities and just being lucidly aware, just present. And I don't know about for you, but I wrote down a few things earlier, characteristics. You know how the word present moment seems so, it's not juicy, the word present moment. It's just like this little dot that seems kind of meaningless. But the contours of, of real time, it's just so rich. It's so vast, like I was saying. It's, kind of, it's so wondrous. It's so indescribable. It kind of has, a, it's kind of has the fragrance of, of aliveness, of um, what else did I write? Like I said before, sufficiency. And I think maybe more importantly, it has, the, it has the flavor of desirelessness. There's a cessation of wanting. It's like everything that I ever want is granted in a simple moment of being aware. And yet the... the the story of our life, the, the drama of our life is, it seems like our story is built around the desire for more, the desire for becoming. But it is a, it is a trick of our mind that keeps us um, overlooking this vital present that is in that's hiding in plain view. And it really is the satisfaction of all of our longings. Hakuin Zenji, great Zen master, says all beings by nature are Buddha. You know, just wake, awake. 
as ice by nature is water. Apart from water, there is no ice. Apart from beings, no Buddha. How sad that people ignore the near and search for truth afar. Like someone in the midst of water crying out in thirst. Like a child of a wealthy home wandering among the poor. Lost on dark paths of ignorance, we wander through the world from dark path to dark path. When shall we be freed from this cycle of becoming? O meditation, to this the highest praise. Those who meditate even once wipe away beginningless crimes. Where are all the dark paths then? The pure land itself is near. Those who hear this truth even once and listen with a grateful heart, treasuring it, revering it, gain blessings without end. Moreover, much more, those who turn about and bear witness to self-nature, self-nature that is no nature, go far beyond any doctrine. How boundless and free is the sky of awareness. How bright the full moon of wisdom. Truly is anything missing now. Nirvana is right here before our eyes. This very place is the lotus land. This very body, the Buddha. So I love this piece right here where it says, those who hear this truth, this gets back to your question, those who hear this truth even once and listen with a grateful heart, treasuring it, revering it, gain blessings without end. So to me, once you've had the experience of being present, if you treasure it, you revere it, you get used to it, you stabilize it, you, you know that this is your true home. Gain, you gain blessings without end. So how does one do that? Why do, we, why do we sit? Why do we come and practice together? We do it to treasure what's always already here, to get used to it. We do it in order to notice, as I've been shockingly aware, notice, wake up to the fact that our minds are constantly jumping ahead. And instead of living within that, that drama of myself in time, noticing it. Instead of just knowing about myself and my life, the story, know myself directly. And it's just that little shift from being carried along by that stream of, of endless desires, that stream of lack, that stream of dissatisfaction, by, instead of being carried along, just noticing it. The very thing that torments me becomes the manure of my awakening. It wakes me up to the reality of the present moment. And then I can be grateful for how, I can be grateful for my own 
my own version of mental illness because it's part of, it's just seen as, as the mind and what it does. And it be, once it's seen as the mind and what it does, it's much less personal. But because we are more habituated to being carried along by that stream of what I want to happen, did I share with you the, the Rumi quote last week where he, he said, uh, failure is the key to the divinity or the queendom, the king or kingdom, the queendom within. Your prayer should be break the legs of what I want to happen. Humiliate my desire. Eat me like candy. It's spring and finally I have no will. But just to be able to notice the mind uh, is um, be, just keeps deepening the, the freedom that, is, that waits but while we're busy making other plans. So if you've tasted it, tasted real-time awareness, you just have to remember. And it's not just about sitting. Sitting really enhances it and being around teachings that keep pointing to the life of the here and now. But it's all day long. From the moment you wake up till the time you go to bed, that's how you deepen it. It's already deep. It's just a matter of remembering. You are already deep. You are the Buddha. So, how, so then each person in their own creative way will find a way to remember. And some of you will end up on three-month, 12-month. Some of you will ordain as monastics in order to nurture it. Others will just be the stealth yogis. Just nobody has to even know you're meditating. You can do it while you're driving your daughter to school. Stoned at 7.30 in the morning on life. Molly actually got it. Molly got it for, she says, yeah, I know, Dad. <laughs> sometimes she, you know, there's no, sometimes she just ignores anything I say and then I have to deal with deflation and but we had a moment. We had a moment. And that moment actually, like I said, created this inner resolve to notice how much I jumped ahead and I couldn't believe it. I was shocked. So, and I, I, heard, I read another story from the Dalai Lama that, that just gave me a lot of um, self-forgiveness for how deluded we can be as humans or how easily seduced we are he was giving a series of lectures in Los Angeles. This is the Dalai Lama, somebody who has one of the most fierce practices, gets up at two in the morning, practices till six, and then all day long he's just, just practicing kindness and he's really empty and just expresses the joy of, the effulgence of presence and the joy of giving. But every day he was driving down Rodeo Drive or someplace in Los Angeles and looking at the storefronts and all the stuff. And at first he's just kind of noticing the people look, you know, in the stuff. And then after five or six days, he started noticing how he wanted the stuff in the store. This is the Dalai Lama. 
And it, it just gave me such an appreciation how our, when our mind makes contact with objects, it produces liking. This is the chain of dependent origination. It produces liking. And liking, if we don't recognize it, it's quickly followed by wanting. And wanting is then followed by fantasizing, projecting. So this is very well-trained pattern, but we can wake up to it, wake up out of it. Notice that our mind is doing it. And the Dalai Lama can just say it and, and have a laugh about it. He's his Buddha nature is not bound up in that conditioning, but during those moments of wanting, there's a feeling of lack. And there's a feeling that that will satisfy some kind of hunger that I have. And it's a trick. And then we borrow the potential, that little pleasure, the potential, we borrow it and, and, let, the, and let that be a feeling of satisfaction when it really is just obscuring what's already so satisfying about what's right here. So may we all treasure it, revere it, practice from the morning time we wake up in the morning till the time we go to bed. Be mindful of when you eat, when you walk, when you turn door handles, when you, whatever you do with your hands, try to be mindful and you'll start waking up in the middle of a lot of activity. And sit down every day, sit down twice a day, let your mind settle into your body as your body settles under the cushion. And I think if you really do it all day long and particularly the formal periods, real time will become much more compelling than anything that will happen next. There really is no next. That's just an idea. So let's just be quiet for a few moments and then we'll call it a night. a poem from Dana Falls called Walk Slowly. It only takes a reminder to breathe, a moment to be still, and just like that, something inside me settles, softens, makes space for imperfection. The harsh voice of judgment drops to a whisper, and I remember again that life isn't a relay race, that we will all cross the finish line, that waking up to life is what we were born for. As many times as I forget to catch myself charging forward without ever knowing where I am going, that many times I can make the choice to stop, to breathe, and be, and walk slowly into the mystery. May our practice tonight and every day be dedicated to the welfare and benefit of all. May we all wake up and stay awake. Thank you for listening. 
To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.